Lord, we do love you and praise you and thank you, God, that we can rest assured that you are coming back for us. Amen. That you are coming, that you're coming to get us. Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come quickly for us. And we are excited, Lord. We should live with this excitement, Lord, knowing that your soon and near return is at hand. Lord, so be with us today. Open our eyes and ears to receive what it is that you have for us, Lord. And may each of us leave here today changed, Lord, encouraged and challenged in our faith to walk closer with you, deeper, and to keep our eyes set on you. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've entitled our message, I changed it a couple times, um, but I think the last title is uh, Make Your Time Count. So, First uh, Peter chapter 4, make your time count. Time is something that not all of us are guaranteed. We don't know, right, how much time we will have. We never know what our lifetime will entail. We are just as safe, and somebody... Uh, reminded me this many, many years ago when I didn't really, I don't enjoy flying, but I do it because I have to get to a destination. But nevertheless, while I'm up in the air, I have to remind myself all the time, uh, I'm just as safe up here as I am in a car or walking across the street. Because when my time is done, it is done, right? I mean, doesn't that give you peace to live your life and and um, I mean, within means, not to do wild and crazy things that are putting our life in jeopardy, but just everyday living. It takes really the worry out, doesn't it? When we know that when our allotted time is done, it's done. And whatever that looks like in our life, it, uh, that's it. That's it for us. Whether we live a very long life or whether our life is cut short, that those are the allotted days that the Lord has allowed us to be here on earth. And my point is, we want to make every moment of every day count, right? While we're here. So that's what we're going to discuss today. That time is something that we, that is very precious. But I've discovered that I do not manage my time very well. I find that when I have something big looming over my head, that I procrastinate. Does anybody do that? Like your house is never cleaner than when you have something that you have to do. Like I I just find who, like you start cleaning a closet out or something crazy like that. Who does that? Me. (laughs) I take on a large task when I'm supposed to be doing something very crucial. And I have to remind myself of this. We're going to talk about uh, time management a little bit today as well. But Peter had a great deal to say about time. In chapter 1, verse 5, he encouraged us to be ready for those things revealed in the last time. In chapter 1, verse 11, he pointed out the manner of time that Christ suffered, and so do we. And then in chapter 1, verse 17, uh, he told us to conduct ourselves in fear and godly reverence in our remaining time. And verse 20 of chapter 1, he talked a lot about time in chapter 1, he said that Christ is being manifest in these last times 
Now we get to our chapter, chapter 4. Here in this week's chapter, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, he speaks of the rest of time. What are you doing with the remainder of your time that you have left? Our remaining time should be used uh, to the best of our ability for Jesus Christ. So beginning with verse 1. Peter says, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves as also in the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. We'll stop there for a moment. If a person really believes in eternity, they will make the most of their time left here on earth. If we as believers are convinced that Jesus is coming back for us, then we will want to be prepared, right, for his return. Our desire is that he will find us busy about our Father's business, busy serving him, telling others about him, and excited ourselves about his soon return. We don't want him to find us lounging around and lazy, wasting our time, right? But we want him to find us busy about our father's business when he comes back. As I said, time management is something that many of us, including myself, find very challenging. We all have the same 24 hours in a day, but how we spend it or manage it differs. Our heart is willing, but our flesh is weak, right? I mean, my heart is willing. I want to manage my time well. Well, because I find that I struggle in this and I'm easily distracted, that um, I started reading a little bit about time management. And if you struggle, maybe these tips will help you as well. But I find that I'm very distracted by this digital age. Anybody else distracted by the digital age? Okay, so we find our hearts and our minds wander, our eyes maybe even wander. As we try to remain focused on Jesus in these last days, we find that just digitally everything is drawing us and wooing us and pulling us to it. So how can we live with laser focus? How do we make the most of every moment? So what I found out recently is that if we tend to be a time waster, find out where you waste your time. Where is it? We all know. Be honest with yourself. Where do you waste your time? Is it on social media, Facebook, Instagram? Is it on the computer? Uh, Is it watching YouTube? Many young people waste lots of time watching um, silly videos. (laughs) of people doing, um, I was going to say dumb, but um, trying to find a better word, um, ridiculous, is that better, things that put their life in danger, but we find that many people, young people especially, watch this for hours. Uh, That is a time waster. Online shopping, I mean, we're getting close to Christmas now and all these sales, and uh, many of us can spend a lot of time online doing that. Whatever it is, determine where your time waster is and limit that. I would say, for me personally, this isn't what the article said because it wasn't a Christian article, but I would say fast from it for a week. Set it aside for one week and see how much time you actually have. (laughs) 
that you wasted doing whatever that thing is. A good place to start, as I said, is by eliminating the personal time waster for one week and see how you actually do without it. When you're ready to reintroduce this, then put a time limit on it, which I found to be so helpful. Say to yourself, I'm going to spend 20 minutes on whatever this is, or half an hour, or one hour, or whatever it is, instead of just hours and hours. Maybe you're a person who watches the news before you go to sleep. Mm, I don't recommend that. Uh, I can't do that. I will think about it in my sleep. But um, limit that. Limit whatever it is. And, and then you will begin taking that time waster back and managing your time better. So with that extra time, what do you do? With all that extra time that you have, well, I have a few suggestions. Maybe um, do your Bible study. Hey, what a thought, (laughs) right? Um, um, Read an autobiography about a missionary. Uh, Feed your spirit somehow with the Word of God, your Bible study, or um, some other uplifting Christian book. Serve others. Bake something for a neighbor or somebody that would bless them. How about calling a loved one with that time, touching base with an old friend? Or how about this, writing a good old-fashioned letter, you know, the kind that you put in an envelope and you put a stamp on it and you put it in this thing called a mailbox and sending it to somebody. My daughter-in-law is very good at doing this, very sweet. I love when people actually still do that. Uh, Who would have thought that we've gotten so far away from... uh, snail mail, right, that we uh, consider mail to be email is the way we think of it. Well, how about that? So in addition to determining the time waster, um, seek to prioritize your time. Maybe even delegate to somebody if necessary. Establish a routine and stick to it. And then, as I said, set your time limits on those other tasks, responding to emails or TV or social media, phone calls, that sort of thing. Set your time. So whether Jesus is coming first or death comes first, we want to be those women that are not wasting time. Amen? We want to make the most of the time that the Lord has allowed for us to live. We want our time to count. And we can. So in chapter 4, Peter describes for us today four attitudes that a Christian can cultivate to make the most of their time. The first one is that they can be properly armed. In verse 1, as we read already, Peter challenges us to think of what our sin did to Jesus. He said, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, he encourages us to arm ourselves also with the same mind. It was our sin that drove Jesus to the cross, and it was his love for us that held him there. If Jesus suffered and died for us, The least that we can do is live our life for him, right? Peter says that we are to arm ourselves, meaning that we are to provide special weapons in order to fight and win the war. He presents a picture for us of a soldier who put on his equipment and arms himself for battle. Notice that the area that he arms himself, where? The mind. Our attitudes 
our weapons. Strong, confident attitudes win wars. But weak and wrong attitudes lead to defeat. You've probably heard the phrase, outlook determines outcome. And as believers, we must have the right attitude to live the right life. No one wants to be on the same team as somebody who has a bad attitude, right? We all want to be on the person with the good attitude, the encouraging one. We need to be those encouraging people as well. How is your attitude today? Is it properly armed? Sure. Confident and strong? Pursuing Jesus with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength? Or are you the weak link, uncertain and wavering? Do you let the enemy take advantage of your mind, therefore affecting your attitude? Paul encourages us in 1 Corinthians 10, 4-6, saying, For the weapon of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself from the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Other versions use the word destroy, tear down, demolish, and overthrow. We are to take those thoughts that come into our mind captive and to get rid of them. And the only way we can do that is by knowing the truth, being in the truth, being armed, properly armed with the truth of the word of God. What soldier goes to battle and doesn't go with a weapon, right? This is our weapon. The word of God is the sword of the spirit. We are to be properly armed. You cannot battle this life unless you know the word, hold the word, carry the word. It goes in. It is digested and it comes out through our mind, through our actions, through our words. Peter goes right to the root of the problem for us, which is the mind. And that is where the, the sin starts. Here, it's developed in the mind. And if we let it sit there too long and do not take it captive, it will do damage to us. So James encourages us in James 1, 14 through 15, telling us, but every man, when he is tempted, when he is drawn away from the lust and enticed, then when the lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. What is the best way that we can arm our minds? By protecting it, right? What is the best way for us to protect our mind? By putting the word of God there. That is the best way that we can protect our mind. When we fill our minds with the word of God, the truth of the word of God, we're arming ourselves against the attacks of the enemy. The Bible is not only a sword. It's offensive. We fight with it. It's our sword, but it also serves as a defensive weapon as well. It's our shield. It protects us. And guess what the shield of faith protects? Our vital organs, our heart. Faith protects our heart 
where the helmet protects our mind. Each of the pieces of the armor of God is essential. It's vital. Our sword protects us. It's our offensive weapon, but it also shields us as well. The word of God, the word of God. Can I not say that enough? We need to be in the word. If you are finding that you are struggling in your mind, go to the word. And guess who does not want you to be here? The enemy. He doesn't want us to be here, so he'll keep us from going here, make us feel we're unworthy to go here, make us confused to go here, make us seem like we don't understand to go here, because he knows that this is the answer right here. It guards our heart. It guards our mind. He will try to remind us in our mind of the past, our past mistakes, and keep us in bondage. The enemy goes after our mind because he knows that he can mess with our mind. Maybe not be able to stir our heart, but he knows that he can mess with our mind. You know, when I got saved and uh, was clean and purified of all my past sins, I found it very difficult just to receive God's forgiveness and to understand then that he has cast my sin as far as the east from the west. And when I go to him and remind him of my sin, he says, I have no idea what you're talking about. I have no remembrance of that sin. But who remembers sin? I do, and Satan does. And he brings it back to my mind at the most unopportune times, right? He'll bring things to your mind. He tries, while you're sitting in church, listening to the word of God, to harass you with bondage. He tries to entrap you and keep you, and it all happens in our mind. And it is a process. I will tell you, I've been walking with the Lord now for 31 years, and it has been a process that I have pleaded with the Lord, take that memory, take that visual. You know, the the enemy can even bring a visual to our mind. Take that from me. And he has. I was talking to a young girl. I had dinner with her last week. And um, we were, I was sharing with her about this. She's three years in the Lord. And I said, oh, you just wait. You get 30 years down the road. You're so old, you can't remember. No, <laughs> no I said the Lord is faithful to remove those But it does take time. Just continue to walk this out. Don't give up. God is faithful. But the more soap in, the more word in, the cleaner our mind and our heart and our actions and our words and everything will be. So ladies, I cannot stress enough, get the word of God. Get our spiritual soap, our armor. Get it on. Get it in your mind. Get it in your heart. And it will protect you. Peter encourages us to be free uh, from this bondage by saying in verse 2 that he no longer should live the rest of his time, that is us, in the flesh for the lust of men, 
but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, robberies, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Most of us have had our fill of the world, and we have no desire to go back there. We got saved, and we are relieved to be on this side of the cross, right? (laughs) We don't want to go back to that side of the cross. But not everybody will understand our conversion, and some may even ridicule us for it. As verse 4 says, In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation spreading evil of you. They will give you an account of him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but living according to God in the spirit. So here we find the second characteristic, the second reason why we are um, to live our lives for Jesus. First, we are to be properly armed. Second, we are to be patient with the lost. So yes, people won't understand our conversion. Not everybody will. Some may even ridicule us for it. But does that mean that we become impatient with them? Does that mean that we condemn them? That we no, we aren't that that is not our place to do that. That is the Lord's place. The Lord was patient with us and he asked us to be patient with others as well. Non-believers don't understand the radical change that has taken place in our lives because it hasn't taken place with them. They don't understand it. It's like, this is the only thing I can think of. It's like having a baby. I can try to explain to you what it's like to birth a child, but until you've gone through it, you don't understand. It's the same as being born again or being born twice. People don't understand the the terminology. They don't understand the phrase. They don't understand anything about that until they're born again. And then it clicks. A light bulb goes off. I understand what you mean. I get it. The important thing for us is that we continue to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord, that we don't lose heart, that we don't let these people that don't understand get under our skin and try to draw us back, or we don't Say something that we regret, which probably most of us have. I know when I was first saved, I said a lot of things. That I was very zealous about the Lord, and my family was not saved. And so I said things that now I had to, after I got saved and got a little time under my belt, had to go back and apologize and ask for forgiveness because I didn't, I didn't, they didn't know the change that happened in me, nor did I understand what was going on in them, and I couldn't accept it. Sometimes in our zeal, we lack maturity. Both of them are beautiful together. Together, The zeal and the maturity makes a beautiful believer. So it's important that although these people, I find it ironic that some people don't understand, as Peter says, why you won't go do those same things that you used to do with them, after you got saved, when now you're treating your body better than you ever have before. People want us 
not to be doing those things that are good. They want us to be doing the sex, the drugs, and alcohol, and find it strange when we commit to abstinence in those areas. Why won't you drink with me anymore? Well, because it's, I, I feel that it's not healthy for my body. <laughs> and also, it's not pleasing to the Lord. It doesn't bring out the best in me. People don't understand that. You now become a light. You are a walking conviction. You walk around and people don't understand. We are to be properly armed. We are to be patient with those people who are not yet converted. And number three, we are to be perpetually expectant. That's the only P word I could find that kind of fit in. So there it goes. Of his return. Verse 7 says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Christians in the early church were expectant of Jesus' return. They understood 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 7, where Paul said, But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so come as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day, and you, we are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be watchful and sober for those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love as a helmet of hope of salvation. Amen. The fact that Jesus didn't return back then or any other time in history does not mean that that promise of his return is invalid. Quite the opposite, actually. It reveals his tremendous grace and mercy towards mankind. Amen? Just think if he would have come back then. We would have missed it. Or any other time, 10 years ago, 5 years ago, a year ago, whatever it was, we would have missed it. Praise God for his grace and mercy. We are thankful for us, but what about our family members, our friends, who don't yet know the Lord? We need to look at it like it was us. God is long-suffering and kind. He is not willing that any perish. His desire is that we are just as patient with others as he was with us. Amen? Jesus warns for us to be ready that he will return for his bride, and she must be found ready. In Matthew 5, 1 through 13, Jesus shares this example. In most of us know this, but I'm going to share it just for some of you who don't. But it's the parable of the ten virgins. 
He said this, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessel with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard, behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out and meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, no, lest there not be enough for us and you, but go gather excuse me, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. After the other virgins came back also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, For you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. We want to be those women that have our lamps ready, the oils in it, the wick is trimmed. We are expectant for his return. Eagerly, the word is, awaiting his return. Not putting off preparing for the Lord's arrival, but being prepared now. Is there anything that comes to mind right now that you could say, like, I'm, I'm not ready. This needs to go. Or if Jesus was to come back to my home tonight or now, I would be embarrassed or ashamed of anything in particular. If that is true, do away with that. We do not want to be those women who are unprepared who are not ready for the arrival of Jesus Christ. We want to have our lamps full of oil, the Holy Spirit. We want him burning nice and bright, our wicks trimmed, and our faces set on heaven. Are you expectant of Jesus' return? The only reason I would think people would say no is if they weren't ready. If there was something that was holding them back, we don't want to be those who stepped away to prepare and miss it. We want to be those who are ready now. Those who are ready at any moment for the return of Jesus Christ. One of my sons is getting married in April, and I thought about the wedding, and we're going through wedding plans and preparing. And as I thought about that, I I wonder, just as you prepare for a wedding, you get the dress, you get the venue, everything. You've got everything. There's so many details in preparing a wedding. Your bridesmaids and everything is set. You've got your wedding dress. It's pressed. Your shoes are out. Your jewelry's laid out. And I thought about, are we prepared like that? I mean, do we have the table decor picked out, the napkins? I mean, all of the details. Is it ready? Are we ready? Are we set? There will be no time, ladies, to prepare when he comes. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 52 tells us how quickly this event will take place. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, 
in a twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised to incorruptible and they shall be changed. Did you know that a twink is faster than a blink or a wink? Did you know that? I'm going to tell you. A wink is a controlled movement of the eye and is the fastest wink ever recorded was half of a second long. A blink, on the other hand, is a reflection of the eye 300 to 400 milliseconds in length. Just blink. Okay, quick, right? But a twink is a reflected particle of light seen in the eye which travels at the speed of light 983,571,056 feet per second. That's a twink. Do you think you have time to prepare? (laughs) That's the point. Absolutely not. In a twink of the eye. If you blink, you'll miss it. It's that fast. It is so fast. This translates into an infinitely small fraction of a second, so quick that you'll miss it if you blink. So, for those of you that think you have time to prepare, there will be no warning and no time. That's why we need to get ready now for our bridegroom. There is not time for us to be complacent, ladies, in our walk. We need to be ready because Jesus is coming in a twink. We have to find ourselves ready now. Every day, we should say, if he came today, I'd be ready. If he came now, I'd be ready. Would I be embarrassed if Jesus came now and I'm watching this movie or in the theater or viewing this? Or I think about that. I mean, do you? Like, I don't want to be embarrassed at his coming. I want him to find me so ready that I'm just like, all right, let's do this, Lord. I'm ready. But we don't sit back and just wait for him, do we? We are to be busy about our father's business. We are to be telling people about the Lord, serving him, sharing the good news of the gospel. Just because Jesus is long-suffering and kind, it doesn't give us an excuse to be lazy and lounge around. I'm good. I'm in. (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. Let's make sure that we're those people that receive the crown. That when we do get there and stand before him, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Come in and enter into the joy of the Lord where you will receive rewards for what you've done with him here on earth. We don't want to be those that just make it in by the skin of our teeth. We want to be those that do well while we're here. We must be properly armed to do this. We must be patient with the lost. We must be expectant of his return. And fourth and finally, we must prepare for his arrival. Peter contemplates this by giving us 10 beatitudes for what we can be doing or what we should be doing while we wait. Beginning in verse 7, he says this. Let's follow along. He says, But the end of all things is at hand. 
Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling, as each one has received a gift. Minister to one another as a good steward of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks... Let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do so with the ability which God supplies. And in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which you is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are in reproach for your name, for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory of God rests upon you, and their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, as a busybody, ooh, in other people's matters. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved... Where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer accordingly to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing so as to a faithful creator. So the first beatitude out of 10, Peter tells us, is to be sober. That means to be serious, to be um, keeping your mind in a steady, uh, clean clear. And one commentator said it, it means keeping your cool. (laughs) It means that you don't have a hot temper, that you don't let your anger get the best of you. That it means to be sober. Next, he says in verse seven, to be watchful. And specifically, he says in your prayers, meaning to be alert, to be self-controlled. It's the opposite of being asleep. It's the opposite of being drunk, is sober. Um, But to be watchful, we don't want to be asleep. We want to be alert. Number three, he says, be fervent. Fervently loving is what he says. This is like an athlete who trains to reach a goal with eagerness and intensity. Are you loving eagerly and intensely? Do you love people intensely? Next, we are to be hospitable. Number four, verse nine tells us. Human hospitality is a reflection of God's hospitality. And many are gifted in this, especially those serving in this gift should be those in leadership in the church, should be serving in this respect. We are to be hospitable. Not everybody is gifted, I would say, with this gift. But we all are, are, I'm done with my words today. (laughs) We're all to be given to it. 
We don't all have it as our primary gift, but we are to function in it. It is to be given to us. I wouldn't say, if you ask me, what are your gifts, Michelle? I wouldn't say this was one of my primary gifts, but I do function in it. And many people do a fabulous job uh, at being hospitable, and it's your gift. And you should function in that gift. Number five, be open. Be available to use your spiritual gifts. If it is not this one, hospitality, use your other spiritual gifts. If you don't know what they are, ask the Lord. Lord, what are my gifts? Can you reveal it to me? And I have found oftentimes he reveals it through other people. Somebody might say, you're so creative. You're so good. You're so hospitable. You're so kind and generous. You have such a heart of compassion for the lost or a heart for the elderly. Or or you're so encouraging. I find that other people reveal our gifts to us, our primary gifts, because they're obvious. We don't even know it, and we're walking around functioning our gifts. And we are to be using those gifts because we're instructed to be used and because they've been given to us by God. So use your gifts. Be open. Be available to use those gifts. And also, number six, be familiar. And what we're to be familiar with is fire, ironically. Be familiar with the fiery trials. Be familiar with the battle and know how to fight it. Know how to fight your battles. Know how to wear your armor. Put it on. Be aware that you walk around daily in a spiritual battle and be suited up. Draw your sword. Protect your mind. Shield your heart. And shod your feet with the gospel of peace. Tell people, about Jesus. Number seven, be joyful. A joyful person is a contagious person, are they not? Let your joy radiate. Let it spill off of you and hit other people. Let your joy radiate. Be hopeful. Hope is the expectation of coming good. We are to be hopeful people. We have hope, do we not? I just explained to you that Jesus is returning for us. That is our hope. Our hope, our eyes are fixed on heaven. They're fixed on Jesus. They are not here where we are to have a light touch, but they are there where we store up for ourselves our heavenly treasure, not here. We are to be hopeful. We live in a generation that is hopeless. We, as Christians, bring the hope We bring the hope of heaven to a hurting world. That is our responsibility. Number 10, excuse me, 9, be worshipful. Glorify God in your times of suffering because we know that we are never most watched than when we are going through a trial, right? When we are in a time of suffering, that is our time to shine. That is our time where people watch us very closely, believers and non-believers alike. And they have an opportunity to see what really we're made of. When we go through a trial, it brings out good and it brings out the ugly, doesn't it? It brings out the pretty and the ugly, the good and the bad. And that's what trials are for. The testing of our faith produces 
Patience and patience, perseverance, perseverance, character and character what? Yes, hope, character, hope. We need to be worshipful. We need to glorify God in our time of suffering, remembering that people are watching us when we suffer. And number 10, we are to be faithful. We are to be found faithful. We are to be faithful. We are to be loyal. We are to commit ourselves to God. Faith cannot be seen, right? Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen, not seen. You can't see it. We are to be faithful. We are to be loyal. We are to trust. We are to believe. We are to be hopeful, joyful, worshipful. We are to be familiar with the fire. We are to be open and available to use our gifts. We are to be hospitable. We are to be fervently loving the lost. And we are to be watchful in our prayers and sober and serious about the time in which we're living in. Peter writes to the church and encourages them in a great time of suffering. And these 10 ways are how he encourages them. While we wait, we are to be doing things. And that is what we can do as believers. Suffering is a necessary part of the Christian faith. For when we suffer, we identify with Jesus. Jesus said, you will experience suffering. You will experience persecution. We, you will experience trials. It's a way in which we can identify with Jesus Christ. Someone said, there are many blessings we will never receive until we are ready to pay the price of pain. For often suffering is the way to reach them. Have you ever thought about that? You can reach blessings through pain. The pain of sorrow and suffering. When asked about the necessity of sorrow, Charles Spurgeon responded, How would you like to be the only one standing in heaven and pointed out as the only saint who never experienced sorrow? He said, Never. You would feel like a stranger in the midst of sacred fellowship. Therefore, may we be content to share in the battle. For we will soon wear a crown of reward and wave a palm branch of praise. Amen? Is it not worth it? Yes, it is worth it. We have to have the heavenly perspective. We have to keep our eyes on the prize. Jesus, the crown, the palm branch of praise. We have to keep our mind on that. If you today are going through a difficult time, set your mind on those things. The things what? Above. That's where our mind is to be, not the things here. This is going to be gone soon. It could be gone today. Do not worry about these things. Get your mind on heaven. Get your mind on the prize. Get your mind on Jesus in the crown and falling down on his feet and worshiping him. Hang in there, ladies. It's going to be over soon. Soon we'll see Jesus face to face. Be watchful. Use your gifts. Share with others the hope of heaven. Make sure you're properly armed. Be patient with the lost. Be perpetually expectant of his return. Be prepared for his soon arrival. If you want to be sure that you're making the best use of your time, live in light of the soon return of Jesus Christ. That helps, doesn't it? If we keep that at the forefront of our mind, 
it really puts a jump in our step, right? It's like, yes, oh, I must be ready at all times. If we want to make sure that we are ready, live with laser focus, with Jesus at the forefront of our mind, focus on him and his soon return. Make it your aim, ladies, to please him with all that you say, with all that you do. And when he returns, he will not be ashamed or embarrassed. Are you ready? Are you making the most of your time? That is our challenge today. Oh, Lord, help us, right? Let's pray. Lord, we do pray today that you would help us to make every moment count, God. We do not want to be lazy Christians. We do not want to be found lounging around. We want those We want to be those women that are found busy about our Father's business. Lord, would you help us with our time management if we struggle? Lord, would you help us if we struggle with the battle of the mind? Would you help us to learn how to take those thoughts captive? Would you give us that fervent desire to be in the word of God, to share with the lost, to love those who are unlovely, God? to love those who hurt us, to forgive, God. Would you help us, Jesus, to see with your eyes into the hearts of mankind? We ask for your eyes, for your hands, for your feet. God, give us your heart, Jesus. We long to see you face to face. Keep us laser focused, Lord. May our eyes be set on the prize. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.